Good morning again, and welcome uh, to our Re3 Worship online gathering. I'm so glad you guys are here with us. Um, and Daniel and the band, they did an amazing job of just leading us in worship, as they always do. Um, today I'm excited, not just for the worship experience we just had, but I'm excited because we are kicking off a brand new series. And speaking of series, I can't talk about a series without talking about the World Series. Uh, my favorite sports season of the year is Major League Baseball. I love baseball season, and it's always on at my house, or I have it pulled up, and I'm, I'm looking at stats and baseball stuff and fantasy baseball and all those types of things. And for anybody who knows me, you know that my favorite team is the Atlanta Braves. Well, right now, there's no sports. At least there's no live sports. And so what a lot of stations are doing is they're going back and kind of replaying, you know, the greatest golf tournaments of all time or the greatest Super Bowls of all time. Well, here in the South, we're in Braves country. So Fox Sports South has been replaying a lot of the Atlanta Braves games. And a couple of weeks ago, what they did was they took a whole week and they dedicated one night out of each week, out of, out of the whole week, to, to replay the 95 World Series. I mean, this was the World Series that, that the Braves finally won. And so I have a good friend of mine, Charles, and, and during baseball season, um, as we're watching Braves game, him at his house and me at mine, we'll be texting each other about certain events that are happening during the ball game. Well, it, just like this was happening live during this replay of the 95 World Series, 15 years later, mind you, Charles is texting me. Can you believe they just did this? What is that knucklehead thinking? You know, and I'm texting him back, and we're going back and forth, and we're talking about these games. And as enjoyable as it was in 95, it was just as enjoyable, if not more, now. And the reason why? Because I wasn't stressed. I knew how it ended, right? The good guys won. Like, that's how it was it. And so, you know, the Braves go, and they win game one, and then they win game two. And then they lost game three in 11 innings. And I remember thinking back then in 95, like, oh, here we go. They're, they're going to blow it. And then we came back and we won game four, but then they came back and won game five. And then it's game six, and it's going back to Atlanta. And, it, and it's 0-0 all the way up to the sixth inning. And Dave Justice hits his solo home run, and it's one nothing. And it's one nothing all the way to the end of the game. And I remember just being like on pins and needles on the edge of my seat, literally like heart pounding, like what's going to happen? Well, this time I was able to watch that game again and, and watch the series again, except this time I could watch it with confidence. I almost watched it with authority, right? Because I knew who won the game. When you think about the scriptures and you think about our life as believers Shouldn't we be walking around with that same confidence? I mean, we should be. I mean, we should be walking around because the second that Jesus was resurrected, we won. The very second. But if you look at the life of a Christian, of, of, a, of a believer, of a Jesus follower, if you just kind of watch their lives played out nowadays, I'm not sure one that has lived and, and walked like, head up victorious is something that we're really known by. I think more than anything, Christians walk with their heads down. You know, kind of that uh, Charlie Brown, you know, head down, kind of mopey, kind of going through life. We do not walk in a life that is victorious. But why don't we? 
We know the end. We know that we won. We should be watching this life and living this life with the utmost confidence, with the authority, because we know what happened. But instead, if you ask the normal believer, a normal Christian, a normal follower of Jesus, what is your life like? They would probably describe their life as a constant fight and a constant battle. And they wouldn't be wrong, because life is a battle and life is a fight. But there's a big difference. You see, we live our lives and we fight this battle like we're fighting for a victory, right? Like, man, if I could just get over this hump, I'm going to be victorious. Like, man, if I could just remember one more Bible verse, if I can go to one more small group, if I can attend one more worship service, then maybe my life will be victorious. We fight these battles for a victory, and that is completely wrong. Because we are not fighting for a victory, we are fighting from a victory. The victory has already been won. We're just kind of riding out these last battles, right? That's it. The victory has already been declared. And the way we feel and the way we walk through life, feeling like we're not victorious, feeling like every day is a battle, every day is something that we are the ones that we have to put life on our shoulders and we have to win these battles by our strength, that's no difference than the church of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. You see, Paul had been there and he had planted these churches. And and by this point now, Paul has been arrested for preaching Jesus. And he's sitting in Rome and he's sitting in a jail cell. And he's still writing letters. And he writes letters to this church in Ephesus. And if you have your Bibles, it's, it's the book of Ephesians. And he writes them a letter of encouragement, of support. Because Ephesus was not some... Christianese town. It was not um, an area or territory that worshiped God and, and, and worshiped Jesus. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Ephesus was known as a pagan territory. And so to have a church that believed in a risen Savior planted in this pagan territory had to have been terrifying. And not just terrifying, it had to have been demoralizing. So Paul, sitting in his jail cell in Rome, decided to write them a letter. And he wrote this letter and he sent it to them. And he starts out, and, and, and we have it all broke down in, in verses and chapters, but if you just took out all the verses and or numbers and, and chapter numbers and you just read it as a letter, you see that he starts off with this like heart of just thankfulness and gratitude for them, of love, uh, of, of compassion. He gets in and, and, and he, he uses descriptions. He talks about them being children of the light. He encourages them as far as unity and being unified in the body. He speaks to parents and talks about a children to, to their parent, how the relationship there should be. He talks to husband and wives about what relationship should be like. He even talks about slave to master. And he lays all this out in this beautiful letter. And then what we call chapter 6, verse 10. Paul writes, Finally. Finally. Now to me, that's where everyone wants to lean in. Like he's finally gotten to this point that he's written all of this great, heartwarming, uplifting, encouraging stuff, and he finally wants to get their attention. And so he's like, look, if you don't remember anything else about this letter, just remember this. Because finally, I need to remind you of this. And that's what he does. 
four times in the next four verses, he reminds the church of Ephesus to stand. In fact, it says this. It says, take your stand. Another verse says, stand your ground. Another verse says, after everything has been done, stand. And then verse 14 begins with, stand firm. You see, what Paul was encouraging the church to do is don't move. I know things seem hard. I know things are discouraging. I know that right now you want to give up. Right now you feel like you're losing this battle. But you're not losing the battle. In fact, the battle has already been won. So stand your ground. Don't move. Stay right where you are. And then he reminds them in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, Paul was reminding the church that right now, it is true, you are fighting a battle. Now, you're not fighting for a victory because that victory has already been won. Instead, you're fighting from a victory. But you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're fighting against something that is unseen. You're fighting against something that is invisible. You're fighting against authorities and principalities of the heavenly realm, not of this earthly realm. See, the thing that we have to remember is this. Everything visible and physical begins with the invisible and the spiritual. Now, I want to say that again. Everything that is visible and physical begins in the invisible and the spiritual. I like what uh, Dr. Tony Evans said. Dr. Tony Evans puts it this way. He says, we need to spend less time focusing on the fruit and more time focused on the root. That there's things in our life that are the fruit of the problems of this broken world. There is sickness, there is a virus, there is fear, there's death. There's a loss of jobs, uh, finances that are, that are in turmoil, marriages that are, that are crumbling. Those are all fruits of a deeper root. And that root is not found in the physical. The root is not found in what we can see. The root is found in these heavenly realms, in the invisible and the spiritual. And Paul understood this. So he's writing this letter, and and you can just imagine that Paul, here he is, sitting in jail. And he's sitting there, and he's looking out there, and and they're in Rome. And so who does he see probably more than anybody else but a Roman soldier, right? The Roman guard that's standing there at his cell, out front of his jail. He watched these Roman soldiers walk by every day, and he had to have taken note of what they were wearing, of what they looked like. And at some point, I'm sure that he looked at them and looked at at from head to toe what they were wearing. And he had to have all of this on his mind as he was writing his letter to the church of Ephesus. Now look, you think you're fighting a battle and you think what you need is armor like the Roman Empire has. But that's not the, the armor you need. Paul calls it what you need is the armor of God. 
Because if you're going to be fighting a battle against something that's invisible and spiritual, you need supernatural armor for that supernatural battle. And so he does something as he, as he starts describing this armor. He actually, there's, there's six pieces of armor that, that Paul highlights. And if you notice, he takes these, these six pieces of armor and he actually breaks them up into two groups of three. And he does this because if you look at these two groups of three, if you look at the first three, he describes them with this word, with. And when he talks about the second group of three, he uses the words, take up. What Paul is saying is there are some parts of our armor that should always be with us. That we don't just go through life and leave these pieces laying down. Because if we do, that is when we are not going to be able to handle the battle. And he's also saying, just like there's some parts of the armor that should always be with us, there are other parts of our armor that are on a as-needed basis. That when all hell has broke loose on you in your life, that is when you need to take these things up. I mentioned earlier, I started off this this whole sermon with the analogy and looking back at the 95 World Series. Let's stay with this baseball theme and let's just think about it like this. There are certain pieces of equipment that a baseball player will always have on them if they are in the field of play. They're going to have a uniform. They're going to have a hat. They're going to have cleats. I mean, these things are always with a baseball player. But depending on the situation, at certain times, they may need to take up their bat. They may need to take up their glove. Those things are not always with them. It depends on the situation. So here's the thing about the armor of God. It's available to all of us. God allows us to choose to pick it up to put it on. God's not going to dress us, right? All of us were kids at one point, and some of you might have kids right now, and you know, when your kids were really, really small and young, what did you have to do as a parent? You had to dress them. You had to go in, and, and you put on their pants and their shirt or their dress. You put on their socks and their shoes. You did these things for them. And then as they got to become a certain age, then you taught them how to dress themselves. And if your kids were like my daughter, there was no telling what she was going to dress herself with, right? When she came out of her room, we just said, all right, at least she's wearing something, right? And we just let it go. But they learn how to dress themselves. And then as they get older, they learn how to do a little bit more. They learn how to maybe button a shirt or tie a shoe. You mature, and you learn more and more how to put on your clothes. But as parents... We don't force them. We don't make them. We give them that choice. And God gives us that choice every single day. We can suit up or we can go out to battle with nothing on. The choice is ours. It's no different than if you're feeling sick or under the weather and you go to your doctor and the doctor prescribes you some type of medication. You can go to the pharmacy. You can pick up that medication. You can take that medication home. You can put it in your fridge or on your counter. But if you never take it, it's never going to do you any good. And I think one of the reasons that so many believers walk around defeated 
or feeling like we're the ones that have to fight for a victory and not from a victory, it's because we're not picking up our armor. We're not suiting up. We're not wearing it the way that God desired it, that desired us to wear it. So, what's that armor? Today is, is obviously, if you hadn't caught on by now, is, is just an intro, right? This is just like a 30,000-foot flyover of what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks. As each week, we take one piece of this armor and we look at it. So this armor that, um, that God has given us, I'll, let's just kind of read through this. And this is found, um, we'll start reading in, in chapter 6, verse 14. Paul writes, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Paul had to have sat there in that prison and noticed all of these guards and everything. And, and at some point, he had to become fixated on this, on this belt that they were wearing. The belt holds a lot of things together, right? It obviously holds up your pants and it might hold their sword and, and what, anything else that might be. It, 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 it holds it all together. And so when Paul was looking at this, and he was writing down what this armor of God would look like, it's not a coincidence that he started with the belt. Because he knew this had to be central. And what did he use as, as the driving force behind the belt? But truth. And why did he choose truth? Because the enemy is a liar. If the enemy can get you to believe anything that's not true, he's got you. It can be just a little bit. For example, if you look at Genesis, you think about it. Every time God was mentioned in Genesis, it was the Lord our God. The Lord our God. The Lord our God. Except when the serpent came. And the serpent said, God. He didn't use that word Lord. It was very slight, but it wasn't truthful. And Adam and Eve bit, and sin came, and our world's been broken ever since. See, it doesn't take a little bit of, of, of untruth to disrupt the whole thing. And Paul understood this. And he said, you've got to put on that belt of truth. You have to know the truth. Because the second thing that he, that he talks about he says, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Righteousness. If you look up that word, that definition, it just literally means to be morally right. Well, how do we know what's right if we don't know the truth? See, there's a lot of people who believe that they are living a right way, but they're, they don't know the truth. And so they believe the lie so now they think they're living the right way, but they're living the wrong way because they have believed a lie about their life, about who they are, about the direction that God would desire for them to go. So you see, they're very connected. If you're going to put on this belt of truth, you have to know what is true because the second thing is this breastplate of righteousness. And the only way that we can have righteousness, the only way that we can know true right from wrong is if we know the truth. And then the third thing in this verse 3, it says, Once you put on the breastplate of righteousness and it's in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So he's gone from the belt of truth to the breastplate of righteousness to all of a sudden he's focused on our feet being fitted with the peace of God. 
That seems like quite a jump. You know, how do you go from your belt to your, to, to your chest to all of a sudden down to your feet? And why peace? Because if you ask someone in their life if they have peace, and I'm not talking about, this isn't the peace as far as lack of war, right? I mean, because that's one kind of peace. There, it's, like, it's like everything's fine, everything's beautiful, the sun's come up, everything's great. You know, like there's no war, there's peace. It's not that kind of peace. The peace that Paul is talking about here is that, inter, is that inner peace that you can only get from God. You find someone who is lacking that peace in their life. And I guarantee you this, they have believed a lie and they're living their life the wrong way. It's all connected. In order for us to have the peace of God, we have to know right from wrong. And the only way we would know right from wrong is to know the truth. So God is saying, look, and Paul is saying, if you want to go out and fight this battle daily, you always have to have truth and righteousness and peace. That goes without saying. Those are the things in our lives that we can live with. When we get a flat tire or the unexpected bill or we have to stay home from work because one of the kids has the sniffles or, or things like that. You know, little things that pop up that just kind of get under our skin and make us just be like, oh man, what is going on here? That is just everyday life stuff. And that stuff won't nearly affect you as bad if you know the truth about what is right because then you're going to have the peace of God. Because in the midst of the storm, you have this peace that reminds you because you know what's right, because you know the truth, everything's going to be okay. Now there's those moments and I'm willing to say that right now is one of those moments for every single person on this planet. It's one of those moments when all hell is breaking loose in your life. We have COVID, we have shutdowns, we have layoffs, uh, we have loss of finances, we have all of these things that are going on. A world that is living in fear. Now, Paul would say, now it's time to take up some things. So let's break into that. He says, in addition to all of this, in addition, that means you have to have those other three things first. You got to have the truth, you got to be righteous, and you have to have the peace of God. In addition to all of those things, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. The, the shield of faith. Now, we're going to talk about this a lot in a couple of weeks. But for right now, if we believe that everything is still connected, why would the shield of faith come after the feet of peace? It's because faith is about movement. Faith is measured in feet. If you want to know, if you have faith, tell me how much you have stepped out recently. That's your faith. And if you're moving, if you're moving forward, there's surely there's going to be something coming at you. And it's probably going to be these fiery arrows that we hear about here of the evil one. So the shield has to be up because you're moving and you're moving and you're moving closer to where God wants you to go. He 
You see, it starts with the belt of truth. It goes to the breastplate of righteousness. It goes to feet that are equipped with the peace of God that then goes to the shield of faith because faith is about movement. The next thing it says, it says, take up the helmet of salvation. You see, the brain is to the body what the mind is to the soul. And we do certain things to protect our brain. If you're a sports fan, you know that one of the hot topics in, in football is concussions. So they're trying to always figure out how can we make a helmet that is um, more protective to prevent um, players from, from getting so many concussions to what? Protect their brain. We understand that physically. What Paul is saying here is that you have a brain, but you also have a mind. You have a mind that can race to some pretty dark places. You have a mind that can, that can maybe put in some negative self-talk, that can talk you out of some things that God wants you to do, that can talk you into a bad place, that can talk you into anxiety-ridden depression. You have a mind that can take you places and dark places that lead to temptation and lead to, lead to sinful downfalls. Our mind can be damaging to our souls just like an injured brain can be damaging to our body. So Paul says, let's put on that helmet of salvation. Because what the helmet of salvation does, it reminds us who's in charge. Because it shares our mind with the mind of God. The last thing Paul discusses. He says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Now, something that I think goes overlooked a lot, this is the only offensive piece of the entire armor. Everything else is about defense. And as I thought about that over the last several days, I wonder if the reason that that's the only offensive place is because Paul is saying, if you have the other five things, this is all you need. If you have the other five things, if you have the truth and you are righteous and you're, you're living a life of peace, if you have that shield of faith, if you have that helmet of salvation protecting your mind, then the only thing you need is God's word. The only thing you need is the scriptures. That's it. When life comes at you, when this attack happens, when things happen, when, when, when marriages are hit the rocks, when, when kids are sick, when things are happening, we can go to God's word. We can read his promises. This is the sword that we need. So how's your armor this morning? What are you wearing? What are you missing? Might be the better question. Are you fully equipped? Do you wake up every morning and roll out of bed and know that without a shadow of a doubt, you are with the truth. You are with righteousness and you are with peace. That those three things are with you no matter where you go every single day. Because if you're lacking one of those three, why? Because according to the scriptures, they should always be with us. What about when your life has fallen apart and all hell has broken loose on you? Are you quick to pick up that shield, to put on that helmet, to grab the sword? Or is it collecting dust in the closet of your soul?
How's your armor this morning? Over the next several weeks, we're all going to be taking an armor check. We're going to look at each and every one of these things in depth because they mean just as much to us today as they did to Paul 2,000 years ago. They're just as important because we're still fighting a battle. A battle that we've already won. A battle that we're fighting from. A victory that we're fighting from, not for. But it's still a battle. Can you imagine how much easier this battle would be if you're equipped properly with the things that God gave us to be equipped with? Isn't it time that we stopped fighting a heavenly battle with earthly means? Let's pray. Lord, this morning we just come before you. I just thank you so much for this imagery that you have given us. Help us to truthfully and honestly look at ourselves, to look at these six pieces of armor. Make us self-aware enough to know what we're either not using or we're not using properly. There's a lie that we believed. If there's something we're wrong about that's disrupting our righteousness, if we lack peace, because we're trying to find peace in all the wrong places, then God reveal all of that to us. In this battle that we're in right now, God, if you're calling us to step out in faith and to move forward with this shield, put on this helmet so that our mind may be aligned with your mind. And to use your word not as a last resort, but as an offensive sword, a weapon to defeat the enemy. God, reveal those things to us. Thank you for all that you've done, for all that you've continued to do in our lives. We give you all the honor and glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.